Jeroboam has been introduced to us. Rehoboam has been introduced to us. These are the key figures right now in the dividing of the kingdom. God proclaimed that it would be done. And so, again, just to anchor yourself in case uh, I wasn't clear or that we missed it, we're in chapter 12. I'm picking it up in verse 22 after just a brief narration. You know how my narrations go. They're just brief. But these two men have been found as successors in the responsibility of being kings. One, because the Lord had warned Solomon that during his son's reign, the kingdom would be taken from him, but not all, a remnant would be left. Rehoboam right now is that one which on the scene has an awareness that Jeroboam is going to be leading what we would call the larger group. They would be known as the Northern Kingdom or Israel. The remnant from Solomon, which would be a lamp in Jerusalem through David, the promise that God made to him, would be the Southern Kingdom and known as Judah, they would retain hold on Jerusalem. The northern kingdom would move from that, but their obligation would still be to the city. It's interesting. Spiritually, they had no other place to go. How could God reconcile between now two different political groups, same nation, split into, if you would, political groups through two different kings, how could they maintain their unity and still have, if you would, the separation civilly? It was a civil separation. There wasn't one better than the other, but a promise was given to Jeroboam that almost was exceedingly as generous as he had given to Solomon. Jeroboam would receive the word of the Lord in being the recipient of ten tribes by a prophet who rent his garment and said, these are yours. What remains is Rehoboam. So that's where we are. The division of Israel will now be historical, spanning well over 400 years. And what we do know historically is that of miserable failure with only some light between the shadow zones of failure. That's what happens. USA Today, not the magazine, but the chant. Maybe, maybe not. Depends on what our nation chooses to do to return to God. And so in this narration as well are two themes. There's one word that describes these two guys, even though their names suggest some real internal accuracy. But the two things that would describe what we will see in this chapter and in the next one is both heresy and apostasy. It's an important 
language that you understand, that which identifies the predicament of men concerning the holy oracles of God and of remaining men and women of the Lord, committed to him no matter what. The heresy is when that which is the word of the Lord has been defiled by interpretation or opinion. Have you seen that politically where it's being interpreted, what language means? It changes both with subtlety and, in my opinion, overt perversity. And so when these things happen, then truth becomes more distant and the author of truth and of light becomes irrelevant to the people. It's doing what a man, a woman, a child feels that they want to do because it feels like that's the thing they feel like doing. And it's confusing it creates problems that span both within the family and from the family into the community and into the community, all the civil agencies. And there's really one that's responsible for it, and that's the governance of the people. Who's governing them? Are they godless or are they godly? So that's kind of where we're going right now, and you knew that. It does not mean that there's an invalidation of the church. You need to stand on that. One of the challenges right now of the church is being considered non-essential and invalidated because we stand on principles that to the godless are reproachable. You need to see things differently, they say to us. You need to be more accepting of the differences that culture now represents. You have to have a heart for what? You have to have a heart for things that are less insulting than what your God is expecting. But the heart that we are to have is a heart for God. You will see that that is in recitation by prophets that will proclaim, but David had my heart. The consequence was upon him, and though this would ultimately be a result of a home that got fractured, Solomon could have stopped it. It will always be to his credit that he had a heart that followed after God. And that's what the church needs to do. The church needs to maintain the maintenance of a priority in loving God. So now moving into this, and reorienting ourselves with Jeroboam. He was one that would be recognized, perhaps even in advance, of one who would be an oppressor, striving with people. And you may say, well, then why did God give him a chance? Here's why. Because God gives people chances. That's why. I know you've never been oppressive, and I know you've never striven with people. Right? I didn't have this, just those Bible characters. Okay. But it does happen with some. And I would say most of us can see at some point in time striving and full of ourselves, oppressive to others. That was Jeroboam. 
Rehoboam and his personality and truly of the lineage of Solomon would be quite different. But he would be one whose name would qualify him as big man on campus, too big for his britches, looking for trouble and causing trouble. That's Rehoboam. So you get these two guys together and you go, could there be any kind of realignment to God? Probably not. Because God withstands the prideful and he gives grace to the humble. And these guys will not get it. They will have had an opportunity to have seen big works of God in their time of authority, but they'll never get it, which is why pride is so detestable by the Lord. We see pride in our country, but I'm not talking about pride of the country. I'm talking about the pride of men whose boast is contrary to God and only in themselves. Problems. Promises remain. Problems, though, will partner with them as long as there is both heresy and as long as there is apostasy. Getting back to that, heresy is defying God in corruption of doctrine, what is true, and heresy or the other apostasy is turning away from God, saying none of him anymore. Those two principles are true here, and those realities are upon us in this country here. So we want to be mindful of that. Let's go ahead and review very quickly. 22, it says that the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, the king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, verse 24, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore, they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. Boy, that's what we are as ably assigned to say as what this prophet was to Rehoboam. We understand Rehoboam's motive. His motive was to defend what his father had left him. But what we know is that he had already heard the pronouncement that those guys are leaving. Ten of the twelve tribes are going, and they're going to Jeroboam's side, who's going to lead them. He was aware of the promise that was spoken to Jeroboam. Talk about one who perhaps was provoked to jealousy and then prompted to, in his own pride, see if he could change the outcome. God intervenes and simply says, this thing is of me. 
So one of the things we need to know is that God's totally into turnarounds. He is. He's one that can intervene divinely, powerfully, miraculously, subtly. He's able to turn things around. And we're never to give up on that. We're never to assume that just because this is a result of those guys or what I once had done, that God is not willing and able to turn events around for good because one of his chief attributes in being a lover of people is merciful to people. What it would indicate right now is because this had been spoken, he needs to let it settle on that word alone. We at times find ourselves having to settle in the differences of what we would call the casualties as opposed to the qualities that we want to live in and live for because of people, because God's giving people shots. Well, so is the government, but God is giving opportunity for every person to have a moment in which will he find one among those elected and given authority to do his bidding. That's what you see here. They'll have had their opportunity. And so this word is passed to Rehoboam because probably he didn't hear it in morning devotions. We knew that he'd picked some bad counselors already, and so he wasn't a very good negotiator. And as a result, he heard that word. And notice that in the closing, it said, obeyed the word of the Lord, turned back according to the word of the Lord. He hears the word of the Lord and then turns back, and it says, according to the word of the Lord. That means God is being precise and specific. This is what you need to do. It's not, oh, okay, I get it. Well, I'll turn back after a couple of bows and arrows are utilized. Just a couple of attacks. Just a couple of slanders more. That's when I'll do it. This is according to the word of the Lord. It requires precision. That's why even a nation that attempts to turn back, but it's not according to the way, the will, the manner by which God wants it to turn back, it's basically a feeble attempt. This shows that this was done. It shows that there was acceptation, meaning that they believed, all right, this is of the Lord that it's happening. So we're not going to fight him at this point. That means for Jeroboam to have opportunity. What will he do? And that's what's important to see. This is really giving to the last hour Jeroboam an opportunity to do what is right because the promises that God had given to them, him was exceedingly great. Exceedingly great. So here we go. Notice what happens. Verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also he went out from there and built Penuel. Verse 26, And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. 
Is he suggesting in this, as he's building these places up, ah, now what was the failure of David's family is my success in where I'm at? Well, as you read ahead, you'll see what he's thinking. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to the Lord. Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So this is fear, it's arrogance, and it shows us that he's going to try and thwart what is a part of an evil imagination that God is not capable of protecting him, and therefore his strategy is to seduce the people. Why make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem? See, the people were still going to go there. It's a civil division of governance. It's like two state governors, if you would, in our time. And all of a sudden, setting up a wall, a border, and saying, you can't cross over into this state, and we're not going to cross over into your state. We'll just be abiding by ourselves, and we'll have lunch together sometime in the years ahead. States can enact laws that are different from one to the other. We're seeing that right now. Some states are working with now the decision on Roe versus Wade to legislate that we will not accept abortion. We're not going to do it. And so that's a civil decision made legislatively on the proposition very likely inspired by one who's in governor's position. But Jeroboam right now doubts. He's going, huh, there are people that worship. I can't let their heart be knitted to that holy city. I don't want them to go back where the ark is. I got to do something that changes the game for me. And so as a result, this is a beginning of apostasy that will have with it heresy as its motivation. For there is one God and there is one place that God ordained for his ark to be, and that was in Jerusalem. They would have to work out a way in which they could worship together. But here's what he does. And it's classic of what men will do to either protect their ideals or to be those who reject God completely. Therefore, the king asked advice. Notice this. It's going to sound real familiar to you. Made two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt, and he set up one in Bethel, and the other one he put in Dan. These are territories, territories of convenience, out of sight, out of mind. And he says, now this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. Meaning that they are willing 
because of this executive order to go to one even even farther than what it would have been to go to Jerusalem. This is returning to both secularism and as well what we would call indeed the heresy and the apostasy all packaged together because of one man's bad idea to protect what God said would be a lineage of prosperity for him if he followed in the ways of the Lord. We don't know whether it would have been as magnificent as Solomon's, for no wisdom would be given on earth, likened to him ever again, except to the Son of Man who would follow. And so Jeroboam right now is simply replicating the evil that began to be put in place by Solomon. There is duplication in which it means from the master. So if I were in recording, and I've done it, and I duplicate myself, it is from what is called the master. It has two confirmations. I am the writer, so I have a master's signature on it, and I duplicate it, and therefore it is at that stage in its purest form, in origin. If I replicate it, it becomes a copy, and that copy can be transferred to others. In spiritual life, God says, duplicate, according to the master, the master's plan, and then when it is replicated, it will be done because people will basically be in harmony with the master, and it then transfers into what we would call emulation. Almost no distinction between the two, even with personalities. And so when that replication happens, and they're trying to follow the standards that Solomon set and the disposition of Rehoboam and the disposition of Jeroboam, guess what you have? You have nothing. You have what would be called a corrupt disk or copy. And a corrupt copy copies itself into corruption. Anytime you take a CD that's corrupted, and though it has the ability to be copied, you'll hear the corruption in it. You go, oh, why is it happening? Well, because it happened to the master, the duplicate. And in it being a replicate, you got what you get because it was marred. And so people will tolerate it, but inside there's something that goes, it's, it's just not perfect enough. It's not. And that's what, at the same time, the Lord can do with regard to conviction. Because people will know that what they got is either the authentic the master, the one that in origin is pure and true, or they'll go, I got a cheap replication. I got just a facsimile. I got a joke pulled on me. Right? That's one of the things that we do. We look to see that the signature is truly the artist, both in painting, architecture, 
writing, recording. We look to see, is it pure? Is it true? And so as it goes on, and we see this unfold, and it looks like something that's already happened to these people before, hundreds of years before. And he set up one in Bethel, the other one in Dan. Now this thing became a sin for the people, went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places, made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam, notice this, ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing, notice this, to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel, and on the 15th day, on the 8th of the month, in the month which he had devised, notice that word devised in his own heart, and he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. He created a religious organization is what he did. It was not spiritually true. It was not according to God's way. He was giving civil authority of governance to both kings. And in essence, it was, I hope you can get together while you are living together. I hope you come and worship. And the men will be in strife. The strife will continue because as this is clearly telling us, it doesn't stop. It's perpetuating itself. He's ordained it. He's making it an overt act of worship that the children of Israel, the ten tribes, shall worship what? Calves. Doesn't say necessarily they're made of gold, but I wouldn't doubt it because he was trying to do as best he could. And if one calf was sufficient, boy, two. But the reasons were the two different destinations. Heresy and apostasy. In essence, pride that had been not stopped. The arrogancy of a man and the fear that he had of losing what God said, I give you. A huge problem. Jeroboam, the one who strives and oppresses, why did God give him a chance? Because that's what God does. He gives people chances. What do people do with their chances, with their opportunities? Best thing that I believe should be done is that we thank God for it, we entrust ourselves to it, and we ask the Spirit of God make it evident that he's for it and he's with us. And you rest in that. When the opposition comes, you are one that stands firm in his promises. You are one 
that has your confidence when others are waning to be that which a person looks at and goes, I'm going to emulate that. That's a standard that's as close to the master as I've ever seen. Which is why the Lord does a perfecting work in our lives through the predicaments that he allows to be enmeshed with. We like it when there's no mess. We like it when it's really easy. Don't you? I do. I really do. My remembrances of the church in the early days that I was following God are fresh and special because I remember when the time that I gave up my vain pursuits, how much the Lord had touched my heart effortlessly. And yet I know that there was effort put in by me as I was drawn to him. And that's one of the things that we need to know. Whenever the church begins to be only that which is convenient to you, you need to ask yourself, am I beginning to manifest a spirit of Jeroboam? Afraid that if I still want to head to the place of Jerusalem where God's at, that I'm going to lose something else in the process. I'm going to lose people. I'm going to lose possessions. And then you begin devising things in your mind. How often I've heard of those extra things that people are doing right now to satisfy a spiritual reality, but it's facsimility. It's, it's not taking it from the master. The world, and our government in particular, failed miserably. And even under, in my opinion, the management of governors, when for the sake of a disease which God is capable of both healing and also seeing us through, we made the church irrelevant. We locked her up. Don't go near her. You'll die. Better to die in here than with him than out there without him. We've all been through something. We have lost friends. We've lost family. We understand that. Loss is the inevitable, though, but for the believer, it's gain. We all have a means that we might say would be better, like just going to sleep and waking up in heaven. That sounds good to me, but I can't guarantee that for myself. When I start thinking of other alternatives, it really just, Lord, I, I can't let my mind go there because it goes in places that are like chasms and it's dark and you had no other alternative than to follow what both your father had prescribed and what you knew was the place in which brutally you would be taken from this earth. But also to satisfy completely for the sake of the father those who would inhabit the earth and receive grace and mercy and forgiveness 
In closing here, I'm going to refer you to what this is. It's a, it's a facsimile. It's a replication of sin. It goes back to Exodus 32. That's when Moses had this wonderful, beautiful encounter with God. He received the Ten Commandments. He's cradling them. All the magnificent things, both the Ten, but also the counsel that God was giving him with regard to how the tabernacle was going to be built, the laws that he would enact, the things in which he would do for the people, all stated, and at the end of it all, 32, Aaron, in the absence of Moses, says, what are you guys saying? To worship a god? Give me your gold. Let's throw it in the fire and see what comes out. Well, it wasn't simply what would come out. It's what would be fashioned and manufactured and opportunity to worship. When God was on the mountain with Moses, they were making a god in their image of what they knew was not God. So as we see the imaginations of men in governance, and they're asking us to bow down to the images which are godless, they are profane to the Lord, we need to be able to say, I don't do that, and I won't do it. We were shut-ins for a season we made the best of it. God allowed us actually through that time to be international. We began to platform to record studies. Many pastors' wives became production managers of filming us. You saw me move from the living room to the study. I think I did an entire series of many of the pastoral letters. I know that I spent probably on every day close to an hour of teaching, which I hope is archived, because it was actually pretty amazing that that was being done. That was good. That's what came out of it, is my determination that I would feed, even though the government said, don't. No feeding today. Just frenzy. Just lay away. Just hide away. Be satisfied in your irrelevance. Talk to God on your own terms. But don't make provision for God on his terms. And so the day came in which, realizing there was a choice to make, we made it. And to some it was political. It wasn't to me, it was spiritual. And no apologies for it. But what we have seen, what these guys are going to see, is that when you decide to change because of culture and because of fear, then you will get what basically that change manifests as, a hedonistic, godless society that will be problems in civility and challenges. I'm not sure of the gentleman that sat here. My eyes were kept from being distracted. But he was here, but I'm also glad that there were brothers that had eyes on him. It's important to protect the flock. 
if the word was heard and his reaction was to that word, he's got some thinking to do. If the washing was effective, then there was cleansing that did take place. But that's between him and God and perhaps another orientation that he may have. He could be put in his right mind, and at the same time, he could have no mind further from God because of a decision that somehow, somewhere he made that distanced himself, corrupted his mind, no longer made vitality of spirit. Praise God there was no harm. Praise the Lord that there were men that, in my opinion, compassionately sat with him and then moved to escort him. That was important. And God hasn't lost sight of him. Where we have the privilege of coming in and sitting before the Lord. Jeroboam and Rehoboam represent literally the profile of personalities today in governance. That's what you need to understand. Who's going to stand up for God? That's who you vote for, period. Well, they don't have the experience. I'm not suggesting anything. I'm saying that one of the things that we get to do while we have an opportunity to do it is to say, who is for God? I mean, who is really for God? They love the Lord. They are not ashamed of the Lord. Their votes are for God. They take the position in which they were elected to do the responsibility that God would say, I gave you opportunity. Now responsibly handle it. And so Jeroboam and Rehoboam represent corruption at its highest that plummets people to their lowest and segregates them from one another. For what? For the next man, the next woman that will stand up. And God allows it to play out. Praise God, our election cycles are somewhat short, even though for us we go, oh, my word. I can count presidents. I don't know if you can. With conscience, I can go back to Kennedy for sure and name all of them successively. Not necessarily their successes, but I can mark the times that they came in my life. I've seen good years and I've seen hard years, but I've seen a faithful God, a loving Lord, and he's on the throne. And so even as we may be those who groan and moan, he is worthy of praise, adoration, devotion, commitment to the house of God where his heart is because he touches hearts. So Exodus 32 is a bad reproduction that's being done here because he says, I've got to try something different than the authentic so that I don't lose what I have, what, what I have. don't want to lose it. And Jesus would say, well, if you hold on to what it is you're afraid to lose, you'll lose everything in the process. So we're going to go ahead and close our teaching here at this verse. Chapters to look into. James is a very practical in-your-face book dealing in two with pride and 
It's pretty awesome. I mean, the whole book is just awesome. And of course, the parallels that have been as well drawn. Apply your hearts to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. That's what the Lord would say to us. Perhaps motivationally, buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Make sure you got your Bibles or a tool that is a Bible. I still prefer my traditional one. It's a journal for me. Through wisdom, a house is built and by understanding it is established. Verse 10, we've reviewed this before. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. So that's our responsibility, but not in the flesh, in the spirit. And that is a practical application of prayer and intercession.